0: You're listening to the Heavenly Chi Podcast, episode number 10. Today's topic is help. My clinic is sick.
1: Hey, everybody. I'm Claire Pyers. And I'm Fee Kitchen. Today, we're talking with Jeff Shearer. Hi, Jeff. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Good. Thanks. We're talking about what you can do when your clinic is sick. He has been in practice for 22 years and has recently relocated his clinic to Newcastle in New South Wales, Australia. His clinic website is www.evolvenaturalmedicine.com.au. Jeff has run businesses ranging from mobile massage through to multi-practitioner TCM clinics. He's made a lot of mistakes and learned a lot of things along the way. He uses this knowledge as co-founder of Ethical Practice which is a business that supports health practitioners to develop their practice in a way that is in sync with their values. You can find out more on the website, www.ethicalpractice.net. In September, he'll be hosting a week-long retreat in Bali called Love Your Practice, which is designed to make your practice rock whilst you have time to chill. The Heavenly Tea podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment and professional development. Show notes and continuing professional development resources are found at www.heavenlycheepodcast.com. You can add Heavenly Chi Podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Facebook. All links are in the show notes. We hope you enjoy today's show.
0: So welcome to the show, Jeff. It's great to have you on.
2: Thanks, Ray. Thanks, Claire. I'm really um, stoked to be
0: here. Great. And so let's just jump right in with discussing uh, what you can do with when your situation feels like, "Help, my clinic is sick." Um, so, what what do you mean by that?
2: Well, I've, um, I've sort of been working with practitioners for probably about ten years now, um, with the uh, sort of helping them with their business. Um, helping them with their practice. And and one of the things that is probably the most prominent problem uh, for all of us, and I went through this myself, is that I'm just not busy. I don't have enough clients. And so I suppose essentially there's two ways that you um, have clients walking through your door. One is that you do some sort of marketing, um, some sort of uh, promotion into the community to encourage people to come through the door. And the other one is those people that come through the door, they they essentially need to come back. And I'm not saying that it's about uh, the model of once you've got a client coming through the door, you have to just keep them coming for the sake of building an income. But I think that the biggest issue is for a lot of practitioners, they don't recognise that most people don't necessarily understand what to expect with regards to treatment, uh, what sort of Time frame they might expect before their particular issue is resolved, depending on what it is. Um, so those sorts of things are probably the key components to the, the biggest issue that most practitioners have, and it's just I'm not busy. I'm struggling. I'm not making enough money.
1: It's such a common. It's such a common problem. It's um, something that I'm very, um, I guess, aware of amongst amongst our peers on some of the. Um, some of the forums that I'm a part of is that there is a, a very big difference between the financial success, I guess if we can call it that, of um, yeah. of the practitioners who have really made a good go of it, compared to the practitioners who are at that lower end and really struggling. There's such a there's such a wide gap, and and yet yeah. we've all had the same schooling pretty much. We all went to the same through the same courses, but it's just a matter of what happens after that and what you do with it that it seems to be what makes a difference. Can you Absolutely. speak a little bit Absolutely. to that for us?
2: Yeah, look, um, I, I I sort of think that uh, we as an industry and I'm and I'm talking about Chinese medicine practitioners, but I find this with mass arts therapists with um with uh, uh, counsellors, with homeopaths, it's a similar sort of mindset. Is we, we just think a little bit differently. So our mindset is not about making money. And that's really cool. I really love that. However, we kind of go to the other end of the spectrum where we are kind of uh, afraid of money and we don't want to have anything to do with money and um, we want to give people treatments for discounts or give them for free or we don't want to tell someone that they – potentially need to come back because we don't want to appear like we're being too salesy. And essentially that's our, our you know, that's taking it to the, to the other end of the spectrum where it's a, a weakness rather than a strength. And so, I mean, I like you, Claire, I've, um, uh, you know, recently just spoke to two uh, practitioners in the industry who are doing training for practitioners and um, they're, a couple of the, what I consider the greats of our industry, and yet they're still struggling to see, you know, 10 to 15 clients a week. And and that breaks my heart because we, as a particularly as a TCM industry, we have such a gift, um, such an amazing potential to be able to help people with so many different things that the community in general don't even know about. And there's all these practitioners that are basically sitting around
0: hoping that their business is going to get busy and that that it doesn't because that's not what makes it busy. Yeah, I've I've definitely experienced both of those issues and I've worked in clinics or run my own clinic and done multi-modality clinics and worked for other people in in a few different locations. And um, it's a really interesting area to explore because also if your treatments are really effective and people don't need to come and see you for very long then um, you're going to have less patience if you're not getting a lot more through the door, and yet it's not because you're not good at what you do.
2: Well, I think that, I think that you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's merit in your, your comment there, but I'm, I'm not convinced that that's actually the case. Um, uh, look, I, um, I, I certainly can find you can treat someone four times and you resolve the issue. But generally, we miss the opportunity of educating people about wider things um, with regards to their health. So I don't just do acupuncture with my clients. I don't just do herbs. I talk about diet a lot. Um, So I look at not just giving clients diet advice but actually creating strategies around facilitating the change that they need to make and they want to make. And generally, I find as a result of that, that ends up Um, increasing the time that someone sort of sticks around because they realise, hey, look, I came in with a shoulder problem but I've actually got um, an issue with sleep or I've actually got an issue with my bowels that I didn't actually think was really an issue. I just kind of thought it was just the way it is. And we kind of miss opportunities in that regard. And for me, it's again, it's not so much about um, someone coming through the door, turning them upside down and shaking them so you can get as much money out of them. But it's about recognising that anyone that walks through my door, I can help in some way, shape or form. And anyone who walks out my door, I can still help, regardless of whether I've resolved their issue. There's still more that I can do.
1: And I think um, just elaborating a little bit more on that, I think the idea that once you've fixed the problem that they're coming for, that you never need to see them again, I think there's a really big, um, a really big gap in, in the sense that, you know, they've showed an interest in fronting up for treatment with you as a practitioner Absolutely. and that um, and that they've chosen Chinese medicine over, you know, physio or chiro or seeing their GP. Well, maybe they've been there and that hasn't sort of solved their problem. Um, but, but there's going to be other things that are going to happen to that person, um, you know, regardless of whether or not you've done a... Um, a treatment that supports, you know, if someone comes in, we use that example if it's a sore back, I've got a sore back, we fixed it in, you know, three sessions or four sessions. But I, you know, I always like to say, okay, well we want to we wanna try and address the reason that your back got sore in the first place, because often it's not the first time their back got sore. Or even just, you know, speaking to them about seasonal related things, like at this time of year is a lot of people that you know they know that they're going to get sick at some stage, or oh, I get tonsillitis at least once a year, and so there's opportunities there to um, to let them know and to offer to offer a wider range of um, of solutions for their for their problems. That acupuncture is not just for the one thing that they came in for, and I think yeah,
2: I, I th- think you did right. Yeah. Sorry, you were going to say I interrupted you.
1: Ah, I was just going to say that, um, yeah, I think that's where a lot of those missed opportunities are and that, you know, Chinese medicine is a full system of medicine, but a lot of people don't know that. And even, you know, even I've got, you know, I've got patients who've been coming to me for years and they consider me to be, you know, in some regards, their first port of call. If something's gone on, they'll email me and say, what do you think? You know, yeah. what what should I do? Should I come to see you or go to my doctor or what? Um, but even then, sometimes i will be like, "Oh, you know, I had to go and get a root canal because I had a toothache," and I'm like, "Oh, what? You know, you could have, you could have texted me. I could have said to you, 'Hey, these are, you know, these are some other things that you could do that might be effective.'" And so, yeah, I mean, I, in some ways, I see that as a failing in my patient education.
2: Absolutely, yeah, I agree. I agree, and I think. Um, if we go back a couple of steps to the reason why, you know, practitioners find their clinic is sick and they don't have clients coming through the door, essentially that's about marketing. And so for me, I, I find as soon as you've mentioned the word marketing, practitioners sort of start to um, move towards the corner and, and try to get away. But for me, marketing is essentially about education. It's educating the public about what we do, how we can help them, what potential benefits might come from that. And for me... I think that we, as an industry, have a responsibility to educate the public. And so for me, my marketing, my primary concern is to educate the public. My secondary concern with any marketing that I do is that then someone comes to see me. So if I think about how I put my marketing material together and rather than it being hardcore salesy with the yellow flashing lights and all that sort of stuff and focus purely on particular issues and then explaining that acupuncture and Chinese herbs and diet and exercise and lifestyle advice can be significantly significantly beneficial in these particular issues and maybe source some research articles. Even if that person doesn't come to me, a light goes off in their head.
0: What are some of your main platforms that you choose to spread your education through?
2: Um, I've got a a website, Um, so basically I am constantly updating that website with different articles on different topics like osteoarthritis or Crohn's or those sorts of things, so I make sure the SEO for those articles is tied into my area, so Crohn's disease, Newcastle, which is where I'm practicing now, osteoarthritis, pain management, those sorts of things, So it means when someone Googles those things, they're more likely to come up with something from me. Um, I'm I'm big on basic flyers with specific information on, so I've got a flyer that's about pain management, I've got a flyer that's about women's health, I've got another one that's about digestion, and I've got another one that's about mental health. So I distribute those around local cafes, uh, gyms, yoga studios, that sort of thing. Um, But the other aspect is actually educating other practitioners about what we do. So probably the most successful marketing technique I've ever used is actually connecting with other practitioners, having conversations with them about what they do, learning more about how different physios might work, different styles of of chiropractic, different styles of osteo, so that I can learn more about their modality and I can recognise when perhaps a client has a need. For that specific modality, but in the process of that, through that conversation, I'm able to educate those people about what we can do. So, the fact that we can treat things like insomnia, we can treat things like PMS and all that sort of stuff. And just like the general public, other practitioners and other modalities don't necessarily know that much about what we do. And so, being able to get out there and talk to people, and I really love that because you get a chance to have a chat to people who are doing some really cool things. Um, sometimes you meet people that you know, maybe don't, don't resonate with and then other times you meet with people that potentially become lifelong friends. Um, so for me, I think the biggest aspect of marketing is we just need to get out into the world and start to talk about you know, the, the beauties and the benefits of, of what it is that we do without that sense of feeling like we're being pushy or we're trying to be salesy or any of that sort of thing, just educating the public in general.
1: I think um, one of the other, getting back to what you were saying before about um, practitioners shying away from the, the financial side of things. Yes. Because yep. I, think, I think that's a really important um, really important aspect and I'd like you to um, expand on that a little bit more because you can do all this really great marketing and you can have people coming in the door, but then if you're energetically not open to receiving
3: Yes, absolutely.
1: You know, you're kind of sending mixed messages to the universe about what's actually going on in your clinic.
2: Well, well, I think it actually becomes even a little bit more plainer than that. I think it's, you know, certainly um, sending mixed messages to the universe, but your body language, the language that you use, the tones that you use will give off that information to the person that you're talking to. Um, So uh, I liken it to... um, when I was when I had my last um, large practice, I had practitioners working for me, and we had a staff training um, sort of program that we used to help them be able to you know understand how to get their practice running better. Um, one of the things that we talked about was the end of consult conversation. So, what do we say at the end of a consultation? And the most interesting thing was the amount of time someone would would you know, one of the practitioners would be saying, "Oh, look, I think maybe you need to come back and see me." you know, three or four times, uh, you know, over three or four weeks. How does that sound to you? And so that that it's it's almost like a, the way they've said it, it lacks confidence, it lacks conviction. So that the intonation at the end is, is the question type intonation that raises at the end. And so that raises a sense of um, lack of confidence in the practitioner and then the person that they're talking to potentially has a bit of a you know concern about, well, I'm not really sure they're really sure about mm. what they're talking about. Yeah. So I, I think part of it is us actually having some conviction around what it is that we're saying to our clients and also recognising that, look, um, I've been practising for 20, 22 years and I still do not um, have a, a grip on, on Chinese medicine. Um, I still struggle from one day to the next as to, whether this is going to work or whether that's going to work. Certainly I've got experience, I've got knowledge in the industry, of, uh, You know, I get good results, but I still have areas that I struggle with. And so we have this sense that if we lack confidence, then we're not good enough. Um, mm. And I just want to say that everyone lacks confidence. I don't know one practitioner who I value as a practitioner of note who doesn't say, I'm just kind of you're around. I'm, I'm, you know, I know some stuff, but at the end of the day, there's still a whole bunch of stuff I really don't know. So if we can let go of that sense of a lack of confidence and actually just have conviction in being able to say to clients, look, in my experience, I think, um, in my experience, this particular scenario, generally I find it's going to take about four treatments, one treatment a week for about four weeks. At the end of the day, I can't give you a guarantee. Um, some people respond more quickly, some people less so. But essentially that's my experience around that sort of four-week mark. We'll have a fairly good gauge go as to how you're going with that. Um, how does that sound to you? And based on that conversation that I have with people, and I, I, I certainly don't think it sounds like I'm selling, based on that simple conversation I have with people, I've got a 98% retention rate.
0: Mm.
2: And on so that... It's a very simple thing, but we just fail to engage with it.
0: Yeah, on that topic of, you know, being open to receive and being confident—one of the best experiences I ever had, which made my clinic about twice as busy, was that I raised my fees. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a that's a
2: conversation I had with someone, uh, uh, a lady I'm working with in Adelaide just yesterday. She was saying, "I'm I'm thinking about I want to." She's got practitioners working for her, and she said, "I'm I'm wanting to," um, you know be more exclusive for me, but I want to drop the price of my other practitioners. And I said, don't do that because it's, it's devaluing them. Mm. And they already have this idea in uh, in the community that they're a premium service. They charge a premium fee. They provide a premium service. So if you drop your price at that point, then you, you lose all that momentum. You lose that sense of respect for what people do. And we have to essentially... Make enough money. That's what it comes down to. If we actually look at what our hourly rate is and we break down all of the different costs that we have to pay through the year, our rent, our insurance, our electricity, um, our uh, uh, you know all the ancillary supplies, washing towels, all of those sorts of things, bookkeepers, blah, blah, blah. If you break down all of those costs and then you work out how much that actually equates to an hourly rate, a lot of practitioners find that they're actually earning $20, $30 an hour. And for me, I consider that's insulting because if you've gone to uni for four years or five years and you've you've studied your craft and and honed your skills, then you deserve to be earning a, a better rate. The other thing I think is a mistake that happens is people keep their rate low and they have to work more to make enough money and then they burn themselves out. And they get 10 years down the track. They can't stand, and I went through this myself, I got to a point where I just could not stand to listen to one more person's problems. And that was because I just saw too many people. Um, I was too ambitious with what I was doing. Um, It certainly wasn't based on price. Um, I I still charged it. I was still charging a reasonable sort of rate. But it's about understanding that 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 rate needs to be the right rate so that you can actually survive and make a reasonable income. Um, to be able to survive and, and be able to go on holidays and take time off and not be working seven days a week, that sort of thing.
1: Well, I guess that's another one of the common struggles for Chinese medicine practitioners is that there are practitioners who have enough patients coming through the door, but like you say, you know, they're busting. They're, yeah. You know, they're killing themselves by working ridiculous hours. They're not walking the walk. They're, you know, yes. if they were their own patient, would they endorse working you know, such long hours, and I think that's a really big trap is, you know, how do you get out of that, how do you get out of that, um, that trap, well, you know, I, how, how do you put your prices up?
2: How do you put your prices up? Yeah. I, 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 uh, I put my prices up $15, uh, $15 um, which was, I think, I was charging 80 and I put it up to 95 and I had one person um, uh, that had an issue with it um. I think what it comes down to is what's the service that you provide? If you're the sort of practitioner that just whacks the pins in and leaves, um, and I'm, please don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking that, but there's a sense of, there's this only a certain amount of value that comes with that. If you're the sort of practitioner that talks through the issue with the client, pops them on the table, throws some pins in, and then perhaps uh, talks to them about some dietary stuff, we're going to have a look at that, um, and then you know maybe does a meditation for them while they're on the table, uh, and then at the end of the session gives them a couple of little um, uh, suggestions about things that they can do, but talks them through them rather than just giving them a sheet of paper, then there's a, there's a greater value in that. You're taking the time to spend with people, and people really do value time. Um, And, again, don't get me wrong here, I'm not mocking chiropractors, but they get a bad rap from that for that 10-minute turnaround, five-minute turnaround, crack, crack, you're
1: out. Oh, absolutely. I had a patient who told me, um, I remember a couple of years ago, she left work, she looked at the clock on her computer, she got in the car, drove to the chiropractor, came back to work, 10 minutes had elapsed. Yeah. And that was her t- including her, you know, couple of minutes in the car either way. And she was just at that, t- you know, at that moment, she really just went, ah, I don't know that I really, you know, t- it really made her pause and reflect on what she was actually getting for her money.
2: Well, that, exactly. And I think it comes down to the, to the consumer making the choice. As I say, I'm not knocking the chiropractor that does that. It's just not the way that I think and it's not the way that I want to practice. I want to be able to connect with people. I want to be able to have conversations with them. That actually gives me a greater sense of uh, connection to what I'm doing rather than feeling like I'm in a production line. Um, And so if I do that, I'm providing a better service. If you look at most practitioners, apart from, say, massage therapists, you look at uh, doctors, you look at osteos, chiros, most of us, um, physios as well, most of us spend a lot more time with our clients than those do. Mm, and if you look at the difference in rates, you'll you'll find that for the time that we're spending with our clients, we're vastly undercharging. And yeah, that's I'm super not suggesting true. that we necessarily need to take that into account and double our fees. I don't think we necessarily need to do that, but I think we also need to value what we do and charge accordingly.
1: You know, I've got to say the one thing I think that the chiropractors do well, if we're you know, if we're talking about the chiropractic model is they do a really good job of seeing people as often as they need to. Absolutely. I think, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, you look at a lot of the research that's done around acupuncture, you look at the way that acupuncture is done in China, for example. Yeah. Yes. These people are coming for treatment sometimes every day for a, for a fortnight, you know, yeah. for, for two weeks they're coming every day. There are yeah. very few practitioners that I know of that feel comfortable saying to their patients, I need to see you 3 times this week or I want yeah. to see you tomorrow and the day after and then we're going to evaluate from there based on how you respond.
2: Yeah, well that's
1: um, that's, I what think a, that... that's what I do. I
2: see mm-hmm. clients some clients three, three, four 3 4 times a week. Um, and I just adjust my feet. Yeah. Um, to, accordingly I want to get I want to get the best possible result um, that I can and I know that if I see someone 3 times a week or 4 times a week if they have a stroke Those sorts of things are really critical to get onto as as fast as you possibly can. And for me, at that point, I don't care about the money. For me, it's not not about charging them, you know, the same rate for the four sessions. I charge them full rate for the first one, a reduced rate for the second one, and the other two I don't actually charge for. So that's a choice I make. I, I perceive for myself I'm not undervaluing myself. It's something that I want to do because I know that person's not going to come in four times and I want to be able to contribute in some way, shape, or form. So my agreement with my clients when I do something like that is I say, if I give you an hour of my time, then you have to give an hour of your time to someone else. You've got to spend some time with someone who needs some help, or you've got to donate some money to someone who needs it. So for me, I feel like it's you know putting something back into the community. I make a very good income. So for me, being able to do things like that is really important to me because it keeps me connected to my roots of, of, um, of caring for my clients and makes me you know, remember that I'm here for them and to stay connected with that, that deep care sort of model in what I'm doing. But, but I agree with you, Claire. I think that a lot of us are afraid to do those sorts of things and I think that it, essentially what it comes down to is if we,
0: if we honestly believe that this is what our client needs and we don't tell them that, then I believe we're negligent in our duty of care. Mm. I think that's I think a, it
2: gets to that simple
0: yeah, it's a really interesting model of you know how you balance the idea of including some pro bono in what you do. and I was also having a look at this some years ago because, Well, I was living in an area where there was a lot of people who sort of thought healing should become for free or if I'm their friend I should do this or that for free or, you know, they can send their other friend who has no money who maybe I can help for free. I thought, well, how can I do this because I don't want to just say no to all the pro bono work but then I don't want to say be um, expected to be saying yes because I did under certain circumstances so I set up a program which I ran every quarter of the year every three months and I allowed people to apply with 800 words of writing to receive and one person one person would win a course of eight free treatments and it would be based on their words of their what were their health issues. And I could peruse all these applications and I could really honestly choose the person who I felt I could help the most, knowing that they weren't going to be exchanging money with me. Yep. Yeah, and then they, yeah, would, they would absolutely. they would they would get the um you know, the the scholarship or whatever it was. And um and then a few months later I'd run it again and so every time people brought up this idea of, you know, pro bono that I could direct them to apply for this course yeah Um, it ended up not working out though because the management of where I was working initially supported the idea and then when money got tight for them they tried to cancel it in the middle of someone's course which was really really unfortunate um But it definitely made the conversation with the public easier for me when it came to what kind of discounts can I offer or, you know, can I do a freebie here and there?
2: Well, I think you've kind of struck on something that's a really interesting point there, is when does the discount conversation happen and why does it happen? So for me, the reason why I give a discount is I know that person is just not going to have – is not going to pay – that amount of money for the week, or I know they're a pensioner and they absolutely can't afford it. I discount for people who are really struggling. I don't discount for people who aren't. I let them make the de- this decision as to what they need to do. I made a mistake a very long time ago. Giving, a, a, I actually well, I didn't make the mistake, sorry. It was a conversation I had with a client for, who I was treating for a number of years who was always complaining about how she didn't have much money and, I did end up giving a little bit of a discount from time to time but I was a little bit uh, I generally don't like the discounting model Um, I think people do need to sort of pay what they need to pay and it ended up that uh, a couple of months down the track that she sort of said she just bought a house and she paid $600,000 in cash for it Um, so I also think it's important to recognise that sometimes people might cry poor but they aren't necessarily and I also want to point out Um, I think uh, this is a conversation I had with someone recently is a practitioner recently was talking about oh someone just doesn't value their health enough to spend the money and I think that's a really um, unfortunate way of looking at things I think people have the the right to make a decision as to whether they're going to do X or Y and for us not to judge it for us to just take that whole sort of uh, ego around health out of the equation and not get involved in it and just sort of say if someone decides not to come to see me, that's totally fine. Leave it at that.
1: Yeah, I've got to – I think I have my um, maybe a slightly different opinion. Yep. Um, I used to give discounts yep. um, and then I decided I wasn't going to do discounts anymore yep. um, and so what I did was when I renovated the clinic um, – and spent an extraordinary amount of money in the process. <laughs> um, it really made me, you know, have to get real about money for a little while. But yeah. I just thought, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to discount. But there, you know, we have got a space in the clinic where we've got um, a multi-bed setup. Yeah. We call it our open room acupuncture, and then you can have yeah. up to seven people in that room, and then that allows for people who don't have the financial means to come to the clinic. No one has to have any conversations about discounting. There's no awkwardness or uncomfortableness. This is the price. You know, the concession rate is um, about to go up, but it's $25, which is we we are almost half the price of one of the multi-bed clinics. It's around the corner. Um, But, you know, one of the interesting things is that the people who come to that to those sessions are generally people who are working full-time. We're getting people who are pensioners, people who, um, you know, maybe part-time workers or people who don't have necessarily as much money. They, you know, a lot of the time what they say to us is that, no, I I want to have the private consults. I know they cost more but yep. I want to come to they, they, they don't want to come to it, which is fine, but it means that the people who, you know, if they're wanting to spend their money in other ways, that's fine by us. It allows us to offer a service where everyone can feel like they're in a space of integrity.
2: Absolutely, yeah. And certainly for me, I don't discount um, in the sense of if someone comes in and I think, oh, maybe they can't afford it, blah, 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 Unless unless they're a, like you know they're they're a pensioner and they're really on the line, I don't generally discount. I will um, give an extra session, but I, I generally try to keep my, my rate as my rate. So my, my rule of thumb is thirty paying clients a week, and then anything over that I'm happy to play with. Um, so if someone needs to come and see me, you know once once if they can only afford to come and see me once a fortnight, and I know they're really on the bites of their backside. Then I can quite comfortably and happily say, "Come in for an extra session. I won't charge you for it." So I think it's for me. I sort of think of that discounting mindset of I prefer to give someone an extra treatment for the and pay the same fee, um, but just not
1: charge them for the second, rather than sort of say, "Okay, I'm only going to charge you forty dollars." What do you say, Jeff, to the practitioners who are out there and they're having this little? conversation in their mind a little reaction to all of this and they're just like oh it just sounds too hard are there people who aren't cut out to be business owners or not necessarily that they're not cut out for it but that they would have a better experience as a practitioner if they were working in someone else's clinic
2: absolutely um i I think that generally the landscape of the industry is gradually changing um, but certainly, when I got out, there wasn't really any jobs available. And so you didn't really have a choice. It was basically start your own business in some way, shape, or form, um, or go and do something else. So I, I, I do agree. I think that um, there are some people that, that maybe the, the business owner thing is not necessarily the way to go, and that working for someone else um, might be a better way to go. I think the hardest thing with that is. But I think that um, you know, natural medicine practitioners—we're all we're a really interesting bunch of people, and we've got such a massive diversity of opinions and ideas on Chinese medicine and on practice. And I think the hardest thing is in that situation to find someone who would be willing to employ you um, that you can make that connection with on, on those sort of ideals and values. Um, as I said, I've I've uh, employed practitioners in the past. Um, I'm very, should say, anal about the way I think a practice should be run and the way clients are treated. And so we were very specific about how we wanted our clients to be treated by the practitioners that work for us. Um, I don't mind so much about what they do in their style as they want to be Japanese in their style or whatever. That didn't bother me so much. But um, the, the day-to-day you know, greeting of clients and, and dealing with the admin of clients had to be very specific. Um, but I, I think you're right. I think it's it is that sort of situation where you've got to find the right person. I know you and you've got practitioners working with you, Claire. Uh, and uh, you know we've talked about the idea of you know different ways of training and that sort of stuff. Um, I think it's about trying to work out a way that there is a a blending of you know practitioner and employer, um, which I think a lot of practices don't go through that process of of having those conversations and working out, well, where are you coming from and what do you think? I mean, I, I worked in practices where people would turn up in tongues and I, you know, whilst I, I understand that mindset, the public doesn't. And so we need to present in a professional way if we want um, the public to, to see us as professionals. So those sorts of things need to be overcome and I think sometimes practitioners struggle with that stuff as well. So I'm not sure if I've really answered your question that well,
3: but. <laughs> no, I think
1: um yeah, no, I think that's really um all of that's really relevant. Um I, I think it's you know, as you say, there's not really that many jobs around. And and jobs is in, in the sense of, you know, as you as you mentioned, I have practitioners here and I employ them as staff. You know, they're on yeah. they're on the payroll, they get pay slips, you know, it means that they can you know, go for a car loan or a mortgage, or you know, all of that kind of stuff, which is just you know, almost no one in our industry has, you know, is offering that. So I, I guess I Absolutely. offer it because I want to see more of it.
3: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, and I think I think it's great that um, that practitioners that have been
2: out a while and are actually getting to you know to a point of success are able to pass on some of those things. So certainly our approach when we brought practitioners on, um, we wanted them to learn every single thing that we did because uh, um, I, I, I had at that stage, I was very successful. I was working, I was seeing 50 clients, plus clients a week. I was working six days. I had 30 people on a cancellation list and I was booked out a month in advance. So I don't necessarily think I'm the most amazing practitioner in the world, but something I was doing was working. So what we did is we broke down every single thing that I did um, down to how I answer the phone, how I greet people when they come through the door, and we created a staff training program around that to then try to have anyone that decided that they wanted to come and work with us, that they would have a chance to get to a point where when they wanted to leave, and inevitably they will, they can go out on their own and survive and succeed in the world. So I think it's important that um, as we get on in our years in practice that we start to share with other practitioners the different things that we've found that works and the different things that we haven't so that our industry can grow. Um, We are just a fledgling industry in the grand scheme of things at the moment in this country and also internationally. And we have the potential to change the status quo of the way healthcare is delivered around the world. And the only way that happens is if we get more people coming through our doors, being able to receive, you know, the, the, the skills that we offer. And the only way we do that is if we act in a professional way, if we manage things in a business way, um, if we communicate and educate our, our clients in a way that they understand. Um, this is the way that we can change things. Um, and as an industry together, if we work together... Um, I think we have a great potential to be able to really see some significant changes in the next 10 years, 20, 10, 20 years.
0: Jeff, um, I want to thank you because I, I feel that, you know, the energy and the enthusiasm that you bring to this topic is actually really quite comforting and supporting for people who may be in this situation. And I know that this situation of help my clinic is sick is, is quite scary and financial stress really takes a big toll Honest, yeah. you know um so <laughs> yeah. yeah i i feel there'll be a lot of listeners out there who are feeling somewhat comforted just by being able to listen to this discussion and you've given them a lot of different elements that they could look at differently so thank you well,
2: thank you well, i think it's really just about us as a, as a group having a conversation now, i went to a seminar recently um and i'm not saying this to feather the nest this is not the ideal but. But I went to a seminar recently with Brad Wisner and he was saying that ideally we should be doing seven courses on business a year and three on, you know, our modality. That's how important learning how to run a business is. Now, obviously, I do that sort of training. I'm not suggesting everyone has to come and see me. I don't care who you go to, but talk to someone about if you don't know what you're doing, then try and find people that can help teach you the different things that you need to learn and be open to it. Be open to, you know, maybe some resistances that you might feel around some different things and just challenge yourself a little bit because at the end of the day, if you don't have clients coming through the door, then you're you're losing an opportunity to be a a great gift to the world.
1: Yes. We fully agree, Jeff. Thank you. Thank Thank you so much for coming on the show today and uh, we definitely encourage our listeners if you're wanting to help cure your business of its sickness, then uh, think about going to Jeff's retreat in Bali in September later this year. Well. It's been
2: a great, great to talk to you and I'm really stoked to um, see that the Heavenly Sheep podcast is up and running. It's a great um, uh, educational tool, conversational tool for practitioners to be able to just negotiate the different aspects of practice. So um, hats off to you both for, for um, setting this up
0: thank you so much Thanks, it's, um, it's really educational for us too really exciting
2: really appreciate no, no, your time the that's a great thing isn't it yeah
0: yes okay so if our listeners would like to get in contact with Jeff you can go to his websites and also you could continue this conversation on our Facebook page um, and let us know how you think, what you've learnt and, and what you have to contribute or what your questions are We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.
3: Thanks, guys.
0: Bye-bye. Bye-bye.